Amen. Well, uh, I was very tempted. I was very tempted to just come up and say, hey, we recorded the sermon from the first service. My team is playing in the NFC Championship game, so I am motivated. You ready? You ready to listen fast? Here we go. Um, around, the cha- around the turn of the 20th century was when they first started having organized meetings to try to solve a problem. There was... Uh, In the San Francisco Bay, there was a need to get across the bay. It was too difficult, took too long to go around, and there was a need for a bridge there. There was just a huge problem with that. Uh, First of all, it's 7,000 feet from one side to the other, and the channel is 370 feet deep. On top of that, you have currents that come at great speeds and high winds that come through that area. And so to build a bridge was literally, to the known world, impossible. Because the kind of bridge they would have to build had never been built in the history of the world before. The engineering didn't exist. They didn't know how to do the trigonometry. They didn't know if they had reinforced steel that could handle it. They didn't know how to get down as low as they needed to get down. And, and the idea of a suspension bridge was unheard of, literally unheard of. No one knew how to do it. And so for, for decades, they had been gathering engineers and and uh, builders and, and trying to figure out how can we put together a bridge that will span this area. Now, stock market crashes in 1929, moves us into the Great Depression. And now, in addition to having the problem that we need to build a bridge that we don't know how to build and will be too expensive to build anyway, everybody's out of work, everybody's broke, everybody's poor, and nobody knows how to do this. Finally, the engineers come up with a proposal, an idea. It's never been done before. We're not sure it will work. But on paper, it looks like we could build something called a suspension bridge. And there's all kinds of men out of work who would be willing to risk their lives to have a job. And so the beginning of the Golden Gate Bridge was upon us in 1933. In 1933, they began the process of trying to do the impossible, and they were going to build this bridge that spans the 7,000 feet across a 370-foot deep channel. And as you can imagine, progress was slow. The winds are whipping through that area, right? Guys are working on these big steel beams, and they're just holding on, trying not to fall off, and they're not making any progress, and everything is going slowly. And pretty soon, the inevitable happened. A a man lost his grip, he slipped, he fell to his death. That brought a pause to the building. They gathered together the leaders of the project, and they came to a conclusion. Again, 1933, middle of the Depression, they decided to spend $130,000 installing a net underneath the work area. And so they literally put a net underneath the area where the men were working so that if anybody fell, it would be like the trapeze guy at the the circus, he would land in the net and hopefully he would live. They got the men to get back on the job. The guys were clinging and working and doing their best until, of course, the wind blew and somebody fell. 
And he went home to his family that night, and he came back to work the next day, and they said, this is going to work. Not too long after that, another guy fell, and he lived. And not too long after that, a guy jumped just for fun on his lunch hour. (laughs) Pretty soon, they had to make a rule that said, no intentional jumping into the net. And, And once they realized that they were, if they fell, they were going to be okay. They began to work at a decent pace. No longer did you have to cling to something while you were working. You could take a chance. You could move quickly. You could hold on with one hand. There was a lot of things you could do. And over the course of the project, 19 different men fell into that net and lived. And as a result, the bridge was built 25% faster than they originally thought it could be built. We've been talking in the book of Genesis about the sort of adventure of following God, the the journey that God calls us into of a walk with him. And frankly, we've been looking at uh, Abram's life, and we've been seeing how his life unfolds and the adventure that he's on. And, And really, when you think about it, I mean, we're so used to these stories. We go, yeah, yeah, God spoke to him. He left his people. He went and followed God. Can you imagine the guts that it took to do that? To be able to just say, you know, I never heard of this God before, but I heard this voice and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to give up everything that is normal to me. I'm going to give up all of my safety and all my comfort. Everybody who knows me is going to laugh at me. Nobody is going to be able to understand, but I'm going to follow God, whatever it costs, whatever it involves. And we've been watching him do that. And, And when we watch him do that in the book of Genesis, we realize that it's one thing to read about someone doing it way back in the day. It's another thing for us to do it today. It's another thing to actually trust God enough to say, I'm going to live my life on this adventure. I'm going to actually believe God when he says something. I'm going to actually obey God when he calls me to do something. I'm going to actually go out on that limb where if the limb breaks and I fall, my only hope is the net of God. My only hope is that he will catch me, that he will sustain me, that he will protect me. And so um, from time to time, God has to remind us that he's there. From time to time, he has to remind us who he is and that we can count on him. So we've been watching Abram's story, right? Chapter 12, God calls him out of this pagan land, says, follow me. He begins to follow him. And uh, we find very quickly that he's um, going through all kinds of ups and downs. He makes a lot of mistakes, but he's hanging in there. He's doing some things right. He's, he's continuing on his journey of faith. He hasn't quit. He hasn't given up. Even though he doesn't understand, God has made him promises. The promises haven't come to pass, but he's hung in there. He's still trying, and, and he gives us lots of examples of how not to do it, but at least he's out there trying to do it, and he's hanging in there, right? Now, if you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 17... If you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, let me just encourage you, bring a Bible. You could download it for free on your phone or your iPad. You can get a paper Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to have one, come see me afterwards and I will sprint over to the other office and sprint back and bring you a Bible so as not to miss any more of the game than I have to, right? <laughs> but I will give you a Bible even if it means I have to miss a couple plays of the game. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. 
Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, let's just hit pause. Because as we're going through this story, at this point, I just began to feel like, here we go again. We're going to get this again. We're going to get Abram hearing from God, God making a point of getting Abram's attention and clarifying and making him promises and telling him, I'm going to do great things in your life. And, and as we see that Abram is about to hear from God and he's going to receive promises and God's going to tell him about these great things, um, this is starting to seem pretty common in Abram's life. Chapter 12, he calls him. After that, we have him going to Canaan and then down into Egypt. And <clears throat> we see the experience that he has down there, how he messed up by leaving Canaan. He messed up by going to Egypt. He messed up while he was in Egypt. And the result was that God blessed him and blessed him and blessed him again. We see that he comes back to Canaan and then he has this great military victory, right? He goes in and rescues Lot and defeats the army and gets to meet Melchizedek, the, the most uh, high priest of God and has this great uh, worship experience. And then he has this vision where God reminds him of what the promise is and there's this ceremony and the vision of a covenant and God says, I'm gonna keep the covenant even if you don't, you can trust me. And he reminds him and reminds him. And as we're reading, it's just like, yeah, this, it seems like every day or at least once a week in Abram's life, he's having one of these great experiences with God and, and God just keeps speaking to him all along, right? And if you're like me, you read stories like these and you listen to preachers and Sunday school teachers tell these stories as if this is normal for followers of God. And then you think, Where's my story? I don't have any experience with God like this. You know, it wouldn't be great if every time I doubted, God just appeared to me and said, hey, Doug, it's going to be all right. Don't doubt. Where's my story like this? Maybe you were raised in Sunday school and the, the teacher was up there saying, boys and girls, look at this flannel graph and showing you the story. This little boy defeated a giant. And you're like, yeah, I never defeated a giant in my whole life. This sort of thing doesn't happen to me. Where's mine? How come I don't experience God like this? Or maybe this is just a bunch of stories. Does this kind of thing actually happen for real people like me, or is this just something in a book? But before we get too far with that kind of thinking, I want to point something out to you that I bet you didn't notice. Go back to chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, how old was Abram? 99. 99. Now, last week we finished chapter 16. If, if you just go up, in my Bible, it's maybe a quarter of an inch. If you just go up a quarter of an inch to the last verse of chapter 16, look what it says. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. You know what that means? In the quarter inch of your Bible... 13 years passed. 13 years. It had been 13 years since anything happened between God and Abram that was worth reporting. 
As far as we know, <clears throat> we don't hear about any other uh, great visions that he gets in those 13 years. We don't hear about any miracles that God does in those 13 years. We don't know if anything happened during those 13 years, except that every day, like you and me, Abram hit the snooze button two or three times and then dragged himself out of bed and went off and did his daily grind and then went back to bed and started again the next day. 13 years have passed between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. And in chapter 12, when God called Abram, he was 75 years old then. That means 24 years has passed since that point. And Abram had some ups and downs in those 24 years. <clears throat> but through it all, he kept walking on his journey with God. Guys, this is such an important point for us to get. We, we have this tendency to, to go, you know, I've been struggling with this sin. And then, and then I confessed. And the next day, I was tempted again. What's up with that? Like, I asked God to change me. Why didn't he change me? You know, I, I would expect that if I'm going to walk with God, every day is going to be like an amazing story that I'm going to have to tell about this work that he's doing in my life. Remember, it's been 24 years since his calling, then 11 years pass, and then he has a son, but it's Ishmael. It's not Isaac. It's not the son that God promised. It's the son where he took matters into his own hands, right? Try to create his own situation and help God out. And remember the prophecy about Ishmael? He will be a wild donkey of a man. Now, 13 years has passed since then. And you know what that tells me? Now he is raising a wild donkey of a teenager. <laughs> and, and I'm pointing this out because some of us are pretty discouraged as we wait for God to make us more mature. As we wait for God to do something miraculous in our lives. Some of you are, are pretty new to even the claims of Jesus. Some of you have maybe, maybe been walking with God for several months now, or, or maybe two or three years. And you're going, you know, I keep hearing these stories, but I, I just don't see this sort of thing happening on a regular basis in my life. And, and you've been at it two or three years or two or three months. Abram is 24 years from his calling here. And he still hasn't seen any of the stuff happen that he thought he understood was going to happen. Now, you might be thinking, if you're trying to encourage us, it's not working. <laughs> you know, are you telling me I got to wait 20 years for God to show up in my life? No. Here's what I'm telling you. God has already shown up in your life. Maybe you're just not noticing. God has already shown up in your life. Some of you could just look honestly and think, you know, where was I two years ago? If you'd have told me two years ago, five years ago, that while there's a championship game on, I'm going to be sitting in a worship service, I would have laughed my head off, right? But here you are. 
Or, or, or maybe some of you would say, you know, if you had told me that I was going to walk away from some of these habits in my life and I was going to start actually finding my joy in something other than drugs or alcohol or whatever my issue was, I would have told you you were nuts. But look where you are today. See, God's already at work in your life. He is walking with you all the way. Just because you're not going, things are not going exactly according to your plan or you don't understand the timeline doesn't mean God's not working. It doesn't mean God's not doing something great in your life. A lot of you know some of the story I'm about to tell you because um, you've walked with me through it. But... Uh, my youngest daughter, Kimmy, has a really serious medical problem. And when she was growing up, she didn't have it. She was fine. You know, she was clumsy and she was, you know, just always twisting an ankle or something like that. And we used to tease her about it. But, but then it got real. And when she was a senior in high school, um, she just started getting really, really sick. She started going blind. She started having tremendous pain in her head. She started having dizziness and she couldn't walk straight and she couldn't talk right and we thought maybe she's had a stroke and we took her to the hospital and they checked her for all of that and they couldn't figure out what was wrong so they said you know maybe it's migraines and they gave her some pills and sent her home after two or three days a few days went by and she got worse not better we took her back to the same hospital they admitted her again did some more tests tried some different pills sent her home again she got worse and not better again to the point where she was laying on the couch and we tried to talk to her and she couldn't talk back and she couldn't open her eyes and she couldn't respond. And I don't know what the definition of catatonic is, but I think that's what she was. And I had to pick her up and carry her to the car and speed over to the hospital. And I had to pick her up and carry her into the emergency room and uh, in order to save her life, they said she was almost certainly within hours of dying. To save her life, they, they gave her an emergency spinal tap and drained a bunch of spinal fluid out of her back. And they realized that the problem was a buildup of spinal fluid on her brain. And that once they released that pressure, she started to get better. They said, the doctor at the hospital pulled me aside and he said, listen, um, if this was my daughter, she wouldn't be at this hospital. And I said, where would she be? And he said, Loma Linda or UCLA? He said, we're a perfectly good hospital, but this is beyond us. Your daughter needs really serious help. So we took her to UCLA. She saw every specialist neurologist that UCLA has to offer. You know, they have their white lab coats and it will say their name and then MD. These guys all had 10 or 15 letters after their name. I'm not kidding. It's amazing that the level of doctors you're dealing with, and there's a team of them, right? And they're working together, and they're doing research and tests, and they have all of the best equipment and all of the experience. And after several weeks of treatment at UCLA, they shrugged their shoulders and said, we have no idea what to do to, for her. Don't bother bringing her back. So we... We took her to another neurologist. He 
referred to another neurosurgeon and that guy said, there's a surgery we can try where we'll, we'll do an implant in her spine and there'll be a shunt that will regulate the draining of her spinal fluid and we think there's a chance that we could save her this way. And so we did that surgery. It was a major surgery, extremely painful, difficult surgery to recover from. And she had this surgery and it worked. And she got better. And she went back to a regular, normal life. And that went on for a year before that shunt failed. And we went back and they had to remove the entire apparatus inside her body. And they had to put another one in, another major surgery. She had to have this surgery and that one worked. And she got better. So much so that she went ahead and followed God's calling. She did her ministry internship up in Sacramento. I point that way. Is that Sacramento? She went that to Sacramento. And she, she started doing her ministry. And God is using her and blessing her. And as you know, this past year, um, that shunt failed. So they took her to UC Davis Medical Center, which is Northern California's version of UCLA Medical Center, best doctors you could find. And they took her there, and finally there was a doctor who said, look, we're going to have to take this shunt out, and this time we're going to put a whole apparatus in your brain, and we'll do brain surgery, and you'll be able to manage this better um, by putting a shunt in your head. And many of you are here, two or three weeks ago, Kimmy was here and she came up and said hello and you saw her with her little short hair growing back and she's had her brain surgery and she was doing great. And this week she called and said, my shunt's not working. So she went back to the surgeon and they said, we've got to do some tests. Um, they made an appointment. She's having this big test done on Tuesday to figure out whether this shunt has completely failed or if there's some way to adjust it, whether she needs more brain surgery or more spinal surgery or something. Um, so please pray. But I, I'm not telling you this as a prayer request. I'm telling you this because if... if if you, I said to somebody a few weeks ago when telling them the story before I knew this one had failed or wasn't working right, I said, uh, if you told me we could spin the clock back and she would not have to go through any of this, I would say no thanks. Because the amount of growth she has experienced by going through this level of a trial has been absolutely unbelievable. There is no way she would be the young woman she is today if it wasn't for what she's gone through in these last five years medically. And, and as much as I wept myself to sleep on multiple nights when your daughter is laying there and dying and there's not a thing you can do about it, I would do it again for the benefit that she has received by, and the woman she is becoming through the trial that she has gone through. Through. See, there wasn't one moment, there wasn't one, one miracle that God did, and we still don't know. Is she ever going to be okay? I don't know. But I know I've asked him to heal her. I know that on multiple occasions I thought, our prayers are answered, she's fine, and she hasn't been. 
I know that this story has not worked out the way I thought it would work, and I know it has not worked out the way I thought it's supposed to work if you're following God. And still, God has done amazing things in her life and amazing things through her life and amazing things in our lives as her parents during this season of difficulty. It's not about a moment of faith. It's about a lifetime of faith. God's invitation to us is not an invitation to just somehow acknowledge that he's God and then just be utterly transformed. His invitation to us is an invitation to follow him and let him do the transforming as we do the following. So hang in there. Because I'll bet you that for a bunch of us in in this room, we got our own questions and our own reasons to be just frustrated as heck with God. And why hasn't it happened at the speed I thought it would happen? And why hasn't it happened in the way I thought it would happen? I thought God said he would meet all of my needs. I don't understand why this is going on. And I just want to encourage you, you're the norm. This is how it works. Little by little, day by day, moment by moment, God brings us with him. He draws us to him. And as we walk with him, we experience him. And as we experience him, little by little, moment by moment, he changes our lives. And, and if you've been walking with God for six months or a year or two, and and you don't have any amazing stories to tell about how God came through in a way that only God could or uh, some way that God provided or healed or delivered you, Um, find somebody who has been really genuinely walking with Jesus for like 20 or 30 years and ask them if they have any stories. I guarantee you they do. Because over the course of time, God does amazing things when we least expect it. And, and people ask me, you know, how do you come up with all these stories that you tell from your life to remind people about these principles? Here's what I can tell you about that. I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years, and I've been paying attention. And along the way, I've seen him in ways I didn't know I was seeing him at the moment. And I could tell you that whatever level of spiritual maturity the Lord has attained in my life, it has happened one step at a time, one day at a time. Christianity is a journey of faith. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And we're about to see something else happen in Abram's life that is pretty cool and pretty amazing. And I want you to be encouraged by it and not discouraged by it. I want you to see it as a picture of what can be true in your life rather than a contrast of what is true in your life. Okay, here we go. Abram is about to hear something really cool from God. Look at verse 3 again. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. Now, stop there for a second. Um, I'm going to just confess something to you. I don't spend nearly enough time praying. But when I do, I do almost all the talking. When I pray, I do almost all the talking. I have learned over the years that when I get an appointment with God, I have a lot to say. I have some questions. I have some advice I would like to give him. I got some complaints. 
I have some requests. And, and all of that is okay. The scripture tells us to bring those things to God, to express those things to God. I have a lot that I want to say to God. But look at Abram. When God meets with him, he falls on his face and listens. And I just don't want us to miss that example. See, when was the last time you fell on your face and listened to God? Now, now you may say, I've listened to God. I, I said, dear Lord, if you have something to say to me, I'm listening. And I heard nothing. There, there's not a speaker in my ceiling. There's not a voice in the cloud over my house. I'm not like Abram. He doesn't come to me and go, hey, Doug, I'd like to meet with you. Let me tell you some promises I have for your life. That has never happened for me. I try to listen to God, but I never heard him. How am I supposed to listen to God? Guys, like I said earlier, get one of these books. This is how God talks. So, so you have the opportunity as a child of God to express to God in prayer and to listen to God as he speaks to you from his word. Now, there's a lot of ways God can speak. He can prompt your heart. He can give you an intuitive uh, understanding of something. Sometimes he will speak through the counsel of some wise person. There's a lot of ways God can speak, but the way I guarantee you he's going to speak is this book. He speaks to us from this book. When was the last time you got humble before God and opened the book and said, God, I want to hear from you. Teach me what you have to say. But Abram fell on his face in the presence of a holy God and God talked to him. I think it's, I think it's good. I, in fact, I think it's great that in the last 30 years or 40 years or so in American Christianity, we have sort of come to understand that um, knowing God, it doesn't have to be some big formal religious experience, that you don't have to put on a suit and tie to be in the presence of God, that it doesn't only happen on Sunday mornings in a place with stained glass windows, that you don't have to talk to God using King James English that for him to understand you, that, that you can realize that God is your buddy. You could be out on a boat having the time of your life and you could be in prayer with God and it could be a meaningful experience between you and God. I am so glad that we have come to understand Jesus as our buddy. It's really important. But guys, sometimes we swing the pendulum so far that we forget that this Jesus who was our buddy is the King of kings and Lord of lords that he is the creator of the universe, that apart from him, I do not exist, that I get my life from him, and that I need to realize that when I am in the presence, which is always of God, I need to humble myself. The scripture says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And I love the fact that he just falls on his face because God has something to say to him and he's ready to listen. So let's see what God has to say. Chapter 17, pick it up in verse 4. God speaking. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me, excuse me, me and you, 
and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. First thing I want you to notice is who it is that's going to make all this happen. Go back, verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you. Verse 8, I will give to you and your descendants all of this land. See, God is always reminding Abram and always trying to remind us that it's him that the, that the covenant depends upon. He's the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think. It is not about my worthiness. It is not about my effort. It is not about how good I can be. This is about a God who is perfect and who keeps his word and who invites us into a relationship and says, listen, if you will just give me your life, I will make of it what I intended it to be. I will, I will, I will. Listen, if anything good happens in my life, it's God who accomplishes it, period. And that is so liberating because I look in the mirror and I know I'm a promise breaker. And God is a promise keeper. He's able. And did you notice that God changed his name? His name had been Abram, exalted father. We talked about this last week. We thought sort of a sick joke that God had played on him, right? He named him exalted father and then didn't give him any kids, right? So everywhere he goes, hi, my name is exalted father. And people are like, where's your kids? And he's like, ah, let's don't talk about that, you know? And he lived with the name exalted father. And, and it makes sense, right? Because God has this plan. But at this point, God changes his name from Abram, exalted father, and he changes it to Abraham, which means father of many nations or father of a multitude. And, and it's almost like, I, I could just picture maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Abram had a talk with God and said, you know, I'm really sick of this name. <laughs> I got no kids and I always have to introduce myself as exalted father and I'm sick of it. Uh, could you just give, could I be named Bob or Joe or Frank or something? Is there not another name that I could have? And God says, oh, you want another name? How about father of multitudes? And explain that to people, right? And, and he gives them this name. And I love how God does this. He doesn't do it all the time, but he does it lots of times in scripture where when he claims someone's life for a new direction, he gives them a new name to go with it, right? Jesus is walking past the tax office and there's Levi in there collecting taxes, has turned his back on God. He's turned his back on his people. And, and Jesus goes, hey, Levi, follow me. And he leaves his old life and follows Jesus. And from that day forth, he is known as Matthew. He gets a new name, right? Or how about uh, Simon, the fisherman, who was always putting his foot in his mouth and always running ahead and doing the wrong thing. But as God is just working in his life, uh, Jesus one day says, you know what? We're not going to call you Simon anymore. From now on, you're going to be known as Peter the Rock. And he gives him a new name. Or there's a guy in the book of Acts um, and every single time you see him in the whole book of Acts, every time he appears, without exception, he's always encouraging someone. Every time. And so God changes his name from Joseph to Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. 
Or, or how about this guy Saul? You know Saul, he, he's the one who was there at the execution of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He's, he's the one that went out just killing and imprisoning Christians. And then on the road to Damascus, God knocks him off his high horse quite literally and gets up in his face and he basically says, you've always been Saul, but from now on you're going to be Paul and I'm going to tell you about the things I'm going to do in and through your life. And he uses him to be one of the greatest uh, evangelists and theologians and church leaders in the history of the world. I love how God reminds us that our past is past and our future is what it's all about. Um, you know, I spend some time in Africa and various countries in Africa and I found this in the countries that I've been in, that this is a common thing. Um, oftentimes, the children are given names at birth or at the time of their naming that have to do with what's been happening in their family or around them at the time. And so I meet, I've met all these kids in like Zimbabwe or Uganda who have really negative names. Like literally, I've met several children named Misery. Their name is misery. And I've met one named pain. Um, it's not uncommon to find uh, children who are named jealousy or shame. And, and I was talking to um, somebody from Wells of Hope. And they were talking about when they go in and they, um, they rescue these children whose parents are in prison and all that, that it's very common for them to meet kids and their names are these kinds of names. And one of the first things they do after they share the gospel with them is they legally have their name changed. And they change their name from something like painful to grace. Something like misery to joy. And they give them a new name. And they can actually begin to live this life based on who God says you are, not on who the world has said you are all the way up till now. So God changes his name. Listen, as you walk with God, your past does not define you. The grace and the love and the power of God define you. God had made a promise to Abram, and his name was going to reflect that promise. And so his name, Abraham, is a sign of God's commitment to keeping his covenant. And he gives Abraham a sign to keep as well, um, and all of his descendants about the fact that they're walking with God. Pick it up in uh, verse 9. God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now look, I, I, we don't enter into many covenants in our culture. I remember I got married entered into a covenant. They said, you got to wear a ring. I was like, okay, this is different than that. 
This is a whole different sign of a covenant, right? God, God says, I want every male to be circumcised, starting with you, 99-year-old Abraham. And all the way down, everybody who is a part of your clan, everybody who is a part of this promise is going to be circumcised. Now, I don't know why it couldn't have been something a little less drastic. But God is God, and he decided on circumcision. Some of you think baptism is asking a lot. But God was serious. And circumcision is going to be the sign for the Jews in every generation. And they belong to the one true God. And, it's, and, and so we got a new name, and we have this new sign. And it's not just Abraham that gets a new name. Look at verse 15. Sarah, uh, whoops, I'm sorry, verse 15. I'm looking at the wrong chapter. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So Sarai gets a new name, and her name becomes Sarah. Do you know what Sarah means? It means noble princess. So he is the father of multitudes, and she is the noble princess. Do you know what her original name Sarai means? Quarrelsome. Now, what kind of an idiot marries a woman named Quarrelsome? <laughs> but that was her name. It means one who contends. She's a fighter. That's the meaning of her name. God goes, no, no, she gets a new name. She's going to be a noble princess, and kings are going to come from her. Not just from you, Abram, and some maid that you found, but from the woman that I gave you. I'm going to make the two of you a great people. And her life was not going to be marked by her past anymore. His life was not going to be marked by his past anymore. They were going to be marked by God's promise. And so imagine moving forward, they're being introduced at a party. This is Abraham, the father of multitudes, and his wife, Sarah, the noble princess. And people again are like, really? Wow, great. Where are your kids? They're coming. They're coming. Just you watch. Their name was a reminder. Friends, when we walk with God, we can walk in complete confidence. He is that net that keeps us safe so that we can actually do the adventure. He, he is the one who makes it possible. He's our hope. He's our promise. He's our source of supply. And if anyone is in Christ, the old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's the truth. And so if the enemy has been whispering in your ear about what a loser you've always been and just being religious doesn't change that, you're still a loser, you're still failing in all these areas and all that kind of stuff, listen, when the devil tries to tell you about your past, just tell him about his future. Because God has created in you a new creation if you're a follower of Christ. He has a plan for your life that goes way beyond anything you've ever knew, known. Now, this reality, it wasn't easy for Abraham to swallow. In fact, it made him laugh. Look at verse 17. Uh, then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? By the way, later on, Sarah laughs about the same thing and gets in all kinds of trouble. Abram laughed first. 
And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might walk before you. Well, you know, Lord, obviously there's not going to be any new kids. Maybe you could just do something with Ishmael. And God explains. He doubles down, if you will. Verse 19, but God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And then he goes on and says, and Ishmael is also going to become a great nation, and many kings are going to come from him, but that's not the promise I made you. The promise I made you is Isaac. God has spoken. And Abraham has made a decision to follow God no matter what. So what did he do next? He did exactly what God told him to do. If you pick it up in verse 23, basically it explains Abraham and every male that was a part of his clan got circumcised that day. Every one of them. So, so just a reminder... True faith is not something you talk about, it's something you do. True faith is not saying you believe God, it's actually obeying God. It's actually walking and following God. It's always marked by obedience. Abraham believed, so he obeyed. And so I ask you, how's your journey with God going? Not how's your week going. Not what have you seen God do in your life today. But how's your journey going? As you look back over the last several years, do you see that you are the exact same person you used to be or do you see evidence of the hand of God in your life? Do you see that God is growing you and working in you and changing you even when you didn't notice it happening? Do you notice that you're growing up in Christ or have you just sort of settled that you've changed your belief but you haven't changed your life? Are there still some things that you don't understand? Me too. Are you willing to follow him anyway? Are you living as if the person you used to be is the person you still are? Let me remind you of something. God has begun a good work in you. And you can count on him to finish it. He's just not finished yet. Stay the course. And as you do, you will become a walking, talking example of God's amazing grace and power. He is making you who he designed you to be. Abraham was 99 and God's work wasn't finished. Don't think it's finished with you. Let's stand and pray together. Father God, we thank you that in spite of our shortcomings, you're faithful in all things. We thank you that our spiritual growth is not primarily dependent upon anything in us, but it's dependent completely upon you and the work that you do. We thank you that you are a faithful, promise-keeping God, and that you have promised that if we will give you our lives, you will transform our lives into what you created us to be. We thank you that what is behind us is not what defines us, but who you say we are and what you're doing in our lives defines us. And so, Father, we are children of the King, and we give you all the praise and glory because we know that's not something we could do for ourselves. Help us, God, to actually trust you. 
And those areas where there's something going on and you're speaking to one of us about something in our lives that we're just afraid to do, give us the courage to say yes. Father, where we have doubt or confusion, I pray that you would help us to step ahead in spite of our doubt and confusion. Remind us that you are the net that protects us, that, that your promises will always be made true and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.